Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Things go through their market cycle. Yeah. It's just the process of what's going on here. Nothing to be concerned about, just like when commercial real estate goes on sale and it becomes the most popular asset probably over the next one to three years. That doesn't mean that it's going to be that forever. Yeah. It's just going through that phase right now. And then guess what will happen? Something else will find its bull market. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Moves. As always, your host, Maddie A., my co-host, Mr. Breedwell. Howdy, y'all. I'm proud of you for still rocking Niners gear, even though Got lost. Not a bandwagon. What a hell of a season and what a hell of a day at your house. Was it was fun. super fun. I had a great time, man. You and Alex are amazing hosts. And we came over with the whole fam. We came over with our dog. Rip. We came over with our friends. Yep. And everybody had an absolute blast. So thanks again, dude. That was no that was fun. That was super fun. The ending of the game. Not so fun. Yeah. I'm just I'm here's I'm, what I'm, I'm wondering. I mean, I'm wondering a lot of things. I've been Mainly why did we fucking take the ball and <laughs> when both teams were going to possess an overtime. That probably was the easiest one. Yeah, that, that's what everybody's pointing at. But there was uh, the Niners didn't lose the game. They got beat. Correct. It was a close game. It wasn't anything egregious that they could have done differently outside of just the way football and professional sports go sometimes. That is the way it goes. But man, when you go up against Mr. Mahomes, if you give him the chance to win the game... He's proven time and time again that he has a high probability of doing so. He's minus against game. Tom Brady. So Tom Brady would goaded him down a bit, but that was about it. Yeah. And I mean, at this stage, statistically at 28 years old versus Brady at 28 years old, he's crushing Brady right now. Correct. Brady was just super old and in the last year of his career and still was like, no, son, let me show you how it's done. So check this out. I just, whether you like Mahomes or not, you can respect. One, what he does on the field, but also what he's doing off the field. I'm super impressed with him. It's funny, Marie and Ella have been sending me all kinds of memes of him and Kermit the Frog. Because you know how they say he sounds yeah, like Kermit the Frog. There are some hilarious memes. But outside of his voice, the dude is an absolute killer and gangster when it comes to, obviously, what he's doing on the field. He has three Super Bowl titles at the age of 28. He signed a 10-year contract of $450 million with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2020. He's got four properties across two states worth roughly $8 million. I would go and say that's probably higher. Uh, he's got three MVPs. He's got ownership in F1, MLS, MLB, NWSL teams. He's got six Pro Bowls. He's got deals with Adidas, Prime, Subway, State Farm, Oakley, etc. He's killing it. So whether you like him or not, I just I love seeing young people make smart decisions and investments outside of professional sports as well, which you don't see a lot of people doing. You've heard of the stories like Shaq, and I think financial literacy is becoming more of a focus in professional sports, but yep. dude is doing it. Yeah, and he's doing making the most of your brand. He's got a really high goodwill value to his name. He's a decent dude. 
I think the only accolade or only um, chip on him that he has is he's, he's considered to be a sore loser or something. Or his wife and his brother suck. <laughs> I saw somebody said uh, three is their lucky number, three three Super Bowls, and his dad's got three DUIs. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that. And, and mind you, I'm not talking shit on DUIs, but his, his dad is freaking hilarious. Oh, I love to see him in the interview game. He is He's literally struggling to keep his eyelids. Did you see him in Marshawn Lynch in the interview that the two of them did? No. Oh my God, it's so funny. They're both just ripping backwards and playing baseball out in who knows where in the ghetto. And they're just talking stories and chopping it up. It is hilarious because both of them are funny. Yeah. Like when you get them talking, like they're just... Marshawn Lynch is hilarious. And oh. everybody loves the character he is because they bring him everywhere. I yeah. remember when he was... Remember, he was literally the pirate for the Buccaneers. One completely different football team, but they don't care. Everybody loves Marshawn Lynch. So he was out there shooting the gun on the cannon. Like he's... That's the kind of thing you have to do nowadays is create your celebrity. And even with an, a crazy DUI like a couple years ago in Vegas that went viral... Didn't lose one sponsorship deal, nope. nothing. Pretty much because everybody loves him because he's a pretty, he's an overall good dude. Everybody makes mistakes, but he's an overall good dude. So before we jump in, because we've got updates on CPI print and ah. how that's going to tie into rates, we'll get Mr. Breedwell's take on that. We've got a risk to the stock market, according to Business Insider. I want to get your take on that. Mm-hmm. Unemployment, in addition to a young money boom. Are millennials and Gen Z actually winning the wealth game or are they losing it? We got some statistics for discussion around that. And I'm going to share with you guys the number one darling of the market when it comes to commercial real estate right now and which asset class everyone wants in on in 2024. And of course, we'll sprinkle in a little spiciness with some news and politics. (laughs) That being said, what did you take... For the, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of conservatives right now are all up in arms about the Black National Anthem. I'm just curious on on your thoughts around that in particular. Considering there's no White National Anthem, I don't really recognize that there is a Black National Anthem. That's not a thing. Shout out to all my, I shout was, out to all my Black I was and White say, I was and Brown me, friends. Yeah. But good Lord, this is fucking ridiculous. Black I, National Anthem? There's no white national anthem. I was talking to, well, Zach was at your house and a couple of my other buddies of color. And they're all like, yeah, this is just such bullshit. We hang like, out I, with people of color that think it's fucking stupid. Almost is, all of them do. It's not our, it's not our, our, it's not like me and Matt, two white guys saying, fuck the black national That's not it. Oh, it's, I'm this saying, this is a narrative that this was coming is directly like from an African American person, somebody of color. Yep. However you want to put that's PC for your brain. Because there is no there's black no wh- national anthem. There's no white national There's no anthem. white national anthem. There's, there's only one national anthem. We and it's ring. for all Americans. National anthem. So my thought around it was, why are we doing this one? It's a pandering political BS play, in my opinion. But it's also just another example of how certain organizations and platforms are literally doing things that create divisiveness, right? So, no black national anthem. No white national anthem. Just the United States national anthem. Place your hand over your heart. Let's play some football and let's get after it. Yeah. God bless America, land that I love. Where does it say because you're white, because you're not? None of that. I get, I can even, we'll go one step further. I get a white person. I think a, a probably, I think Sir Francis Scott Key, I think the, the name who wrote the national anthem, Francis Scott Key or Star Sprinkle Banner. Don't quote me on that one. Sorry. But he was probably white. Okay, Most just like in China, their national anthem was probably written by a Chinese person, and just like in Africa, their their national anthem was likely written by a person of color. That doesn't mean it's wrong. No, it's just that's the person who wrote it. Good God, it's just so it's wild. But you know what? No is around the corner, <laughs> and none is gonna be here. Oh, they'll still be up in your DMs. Don't, hey, don't I don't care if they're in my that. DMs. You know what I know? If they go do this stupid stuff in the streets and we get who I think is going to be in office, they're going to be in jail where they belong. And speaking of who might be in office, have you noticed in the last week, the narrative in the media, they are going 
in on Sleepy Joe right now. Yeah, right when the Supreme Court literally... I don't know if anybody heard oh, about... Very interesting I don't know if anybody timing. listened to Colorado. I listened to it live. Listen to the Supreme Court justices and Colorado's attorney general go back and forth. Was not looking good for Colorado. Not at all. And essentially, the outcome of that conversation was what? And what does that mean? They were debating whether that Colorado had the right to remove Donald Trump off the ballot for the election coming up. And it was it, it, there. I don't know if there's a decision yet. I haven't followed up on it, but I'm going to let you know if, if you ended that at that day and you took a vote of what was happening there, that Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot. And then that will set what's called precedence. And all the other states are going to be like, damn. We pretty much are just going to get taken to the Supreme Court and get shot down. The Supreme Court is the only court. The federal, it's a the federal election, not a state election. The federal justice system is the only one that can strike down somebody. Then they have to be proven and proven guilty, which no party has, minus individuals, no, no political uh, figure, guilty of an insurrection. I don't care if you think Donald Trump did it or not. Bottom line is he didn't. And, and all scholars that are, are non-biased agree on that. He, he did not. Pretty significant amount of data uh, and actually video evidence. Yeah, and, he and was not. You, very, have to, you have to physically be there. Okay? Physically have to be a part of it. To, so that, that's never going to be a case. So it's never going to be proven that he was quote-unquote there or whatever that crap is. But regardless, it's, they're starting to swing. And it's because, I don't know if you're watching, he's been on the road and stuff having conversations with leaders. Completely cannot keep a straight He's conversation. Meeting with thirty-year-old dead presidents from Germany, he is. And the special counsel came out with a report this week that went in on his health, went in on his Democrats in North Carolina. What? What happened in North? That's he. Joe Biden won the primary there. Oh, it's people are like again. I've never. I never thought we'd be in a point in our lives where people can't use common sense and it's completely an emotional decision that they don't like somebody because they're told not to like somebody, even if he's not a great person. And we can argue all politicians are not great people, like I've said about a thousand times. Um, damn, it's like people cannot get out of their own way and they'll, they would vote to put Joe Biden in his current state Back in office for another five years. Well, I think that's I think that's changing in a big way because when you start seeing the media get behind it, and then you start hearing Kamala saying, "I am ready to step up and serve," and it, it seems like there's something that would be changing even in the tides right now. I know that, but what I'm saying is not like for the us for the, them. The media starts going in on Sleepy Joe. Something's going down right now. Kamala Harris is the first Indian president that said she was black. <laughs> Well, am I saying anything that's not true? I mean, I don't know her ancestry, but she's not. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't argue with you on that I, one. That's so that. That's just. There's a lot of wild stuff that goes on with that administration. And again, I'm not saying the prior administration or the administration that's running against them has their hands clean. But gosh, and twelve to six straight up and down. I know exactly what I get with the other. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. true. And then finger pointing constantly that Trump was going to put us in a war. And here we are today. Three wars later. Exactly. Did you see the Tucker Carlson? Man, I, that's what I should have sent you, Tone, was some of those clips. A lot of the Tucker Carlson Putin interview clips. I didn't see a lot of it, no. Um, I watched probably about 70% of the interview. And one, Tucker Carlson, thank your lucky stars, you got out of that, that country safe because he was going in. Yeah, he but was I going think... in on some good... Tough questions. I got to give a lot of respect back to, I mean, I'm not a Putin fan, but to see how he held the interview and the narrative and as calm and collected as he responded to some tough questions that also were questions that kind of made him and his administration. Yeah, dude, he, at the end of the interview, he straight up asked him about this journalist and we want to take him home with us today. Will you let him go? And they went back and forth and debated why he should let him go. It was... There were some very intense moments, but there was also some very enlightening moments. And I think that was the whole purpose of why Tucker Carlson went over there. And of course, you saw Hillary spitting some stuff out about him being oh, an idiot and a puppet and a this course. and a that. Either. The second we stop having dialogue with the other side or opposing views, or in this case, opposing countries that we're at war with, 
and we can shed a little bit more context and light in an unbiased manner, by the way. Yep. The more productive and healthy everyone's outlook, everyone's responses, everyone's actions going forward can be. And so I just found it to be a very... I mean, they went in on Nord Stream Pipeline. They went in on the war. They went in on biochemical warfare. They went in on all kinds of insane topics. So I'll digress on that. But That was so great. To me, again, it just reminds me of how distrust, distrusting or untrustworthy the media is and how he even went in on it himself saying how he goes, we, because they said, he said, why, why don't you fight this propaganda war against X, Y, and Z countries that are making you guys look bad? And he goes, America owns the global media. You guys are the leaders and the best of the best at propaganda. We can't fight propaganda against you. And a lot of the propaganda you say is our propaganda coming out. It's propaganda that you guys created coming out of our country that is not actually created from our country. So it was just, it was very interesting. I'd encourage anybody to go watch it. Not because I'm telling you to take a side, but I just thought it was very enlightening because it does shed a lot of light around some of the issues and concerns I think a lot of people have with the media, with what's going on between these two wars, what's going to happen going forward. It it was a compelling one, but I thought it was interesting. I did notice something today that I wanted to get your take on. The Moscow exchange today, Russia's largest bursts on Tuesday said it had suspended trading on the stock market at 2 p.m. Moscow time without providing a reason for disruption. What would do you know what that would be for? Or I don't even not I would, that you track that I don't market, track but that market at all. Yeah. Russia's market's closed to still via sanctions. We can't trade any Russian assets or that still. No idea. When a country does something like that, is there anything to look into or read into there? Or is it just we have never we the we haven't done that since two thousand twenty or two thousand eight. Halted. I think we've shut the market down. In my lifetime, I don't think we've shut the market down. I actually haven't looked up. I know we halt the market. There's halts, pauses in trading to calm the sea for a second. But I don't think we've shut the market down. And I think that's because we have a free and open market versus it being government controlled. Yeah. So that would be my opinion there. But with that being said, there are pegs put in that, hey, if we have this much volatility, the market's turned off essentially for a few minutes and then trading resumes if once things meet a, a median. I would assume it's probably something to do internally that we'll know soon. But countries like China and Russia and places like that, they don't really tell us a lot of the things that they do or why they do them. They just do them. And it's a state decision. And how... And this is more of a personal question for me is how much do those markets, when something drastic happens, actually sway our market? Not really that much because okay. if we're going on a 10 scale, about seven, 70% for a round number, maybe that's rounding up, but about 70% of the trades that happen in the world market every day are cleared through the New York Stock Exchange. Not really that much. Okay. It's almost, it's like saying for every dollar that's traded every day, 70 cents passes to the United States. So I, it just, would it affect markets? Yeah, but it affects like domestic investors that have foreign exposure. Mm. Not necessarily our market could probably support the world. We would just need more infrastructure to do so. We probably could 100% through the stock exchange if we all decided to do that. Just would never happen. Yeah. Speaking of our stock market and data coming in that is swaying the market. Yeah. It was a little red today when I looked and that was after CPI came in hot coming in at 3.1% versus 2.9, which was expected. And core CPI is up 3.9% versus 3.7 estimated. Talk about the response in the market and how does this tie into what we think the Fed's going to do next month with rates. So I think there's definitely, there was going to be a point where we had some profit taking. Something was going to happen to where some profit taking I, I don't know very many serious traders that sold today. It was a lot of retail action and options action today. So that's when you're going to see movements like that. Generally, if it's not a big deal, you'll see huge volume swaths at the end of the day, which did happen. So buys coming in in the last hour to half hour of the market being open. Of course, CPI was flat, not up, not hot, not cold, just neutral. Headline was down, just not down as much as people wanted. And core is more important than headline right now. 
I was hoping to see a 2.9 on headline and lower 3.1 on our core. Just didn't happen. I'll remind everybody the exact same thing happened last September, except it was a 50, 50 basis point swing up that we weren't expecting. Seasonally, there's things that are going to adjust and move the metric on that, but it's still trend. The trend is still down, not up. So it's yeah, it's a little misleading when they say hey, it came in hot, right? People are thinking it's still. If they think it's spy. If it was, if it rose and it rose significantly, then that's when I would use that term. This was hot. It was neutral. It didn't go up. It didn't go down. And people were expecting it to go down. Yeah, so sure. it's almost. Like Quarterly, when a company that we Microsoft, Apple, Google, they report an earnings miss or an earnings beat or a revenue miss or a revenue beat, that doesn't mean that they missed revenue or earnings this quarter. So moving forward, every quarter is going to be bad. Quite the opposite most of the time, actually. I would say that we have PPI on Friday. If the PPI report is positive, which I'm hoping that it is, that could balance out the profit taking and the movement that we saw today. I wouldn't be surprised to see the market end flat or just slightly down for the week. I think that this is going to give a lot of traders opportunity to buy. There's a lot of people that didn't want to buy certain things at certain levels. What do you think they would be interested in buying at this stage based on what the market looks like today? Large cap tech with AI exposure. It's probably going to be the most popular area. Semiconductor space is going to be hot. I'd heard somebody made a note about the market being propped up because of AI and that there should have been, and he threw out 20% more slippage in the market, but AI has really been a backstop and a supporter for the market. Do you agree with that? I think that they're like referring to the Magnificent Seven. And when people say that, what they have to really peel it back and be more specific on is the equal market weight S&P 500 was very up very much or up even at all, I don't really track the SPX. SPX, that's the market, that's the equal weight S&P 500. The SPY, the market cap weighted S&P, which is what most people track on the news and what you're going to get reported on, it loads up the stocks with more percentage based on their market cap weight. So if you have a higher market cap, you get a higher percentage of the money of the 500 Mm -hmm. and three companies that are in the S&P 500, you get a larger percentage. I think that any time in a market cap weighted index, whatever is going to be popular at that time is going to lead that index. That's a juvenile way of talking shit about something, in my opinion. Oh, only seven companies. Yeah, but let's peel that back. Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Meta. And I think there's one more I can't think of off the top of my head. But their market cap would represent about... Straight juggernaut. Like twenty five percent of the U.S. economy, so no shit, they're going to be they're the main seven things that they're what are there are unicorns that we're there's about. a MacBook and there and here we are going to upload to Apple Podcasts and we're you the stuff we're using requires tech, so unfortunately those are the companies that are going to have the best things. Our oil and energy are not going to go away. Our Krogers and our, our Albertsons, they're not going to go away. Our Walmarts aren't going away, but they're just, they're already established. They've gone through their growth phase. AI is new. There's opportunities. And instead of people usually having to invest in crap companies and hope that they get somewhere, we have these two trillion, one and a half trillion, three trillion almost dollar market cap players that are putting their time and money towards AI, which are much safer bets. And that's adding growth aspects to companies that had not really had very many growth aspects. I would be pointing mostly at Microsoft. Over the past 10 years, you compare them to Apple, Apple's been more innovative. They have a phone. They have uh, wearables. Microsoft has done that to a degree as well, but they've fallen short in a lot of spaces. The search space, they fell short in. So now they got their hands on ChatGPT and went all in on it. And that's doing well for them. And AI is going to continue to do well for people because it's a brand new space and it's a brand new industry. That will and should be the catalyst moving the market forward. Because what else is going to move it forward? Everybody likes to poo in that bowl of Wheaties, but doesn't really love to give a follow-up answer. Oh, AI is leading the way. What should what should be? Tesla? SpaceX? You're just going to get more and more. Okay, what do we need to run a spaceship? Semiconductors. Who makes that? Tech companies. What do we need to uh, model out when we ship when we shoot a rocket up and uh, have all these weather models, artificial intelligence and machine learning. 
it's all leads that way. So you can't say, oh, no, I can't invest because there's only seven companies that are the majority of the gains in the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's about the most bass awkward thing I can think of. You should be investing in these companies and trying to get exposure to them and then trying to get exposure to companies they might want to buy, like your Palo Alto networks. Not saying that you should buy those, but just little other things that are need to be integrated. All right, we're going to have more artificial intelligence, so we probably need more digital security. You have digital security firms taking... Crypto space is still going to be something to talk about. The blockchain will probably stay around. How is that going to work? It all boils down to having those types of companies, though. To me, not a concern at all. You could argue that a long time ago, the Exxon Mobiles and the Coca-Colas, the consumer discretionary, where people's money was at. Because guess what? Coca-Cola was the shit. Nobody had soda back then. That was a luxury treat. Something we take for granted today. So... Things go through their market cycle. Yeah. It's just the process of what's going on here. Nothing to be concerned about, just like when commercial real estate goes on sale and it becomes the most popular asset probably over the next one to three years. That doesn't mean that it's going to be that forever. Yeah. It's just going through that phase right now. And then guess what will happen? Something else will find its bull market. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Fed rate cuts. Mm. Now, I think based on what's yeah. <laughs> happened in the last couple weeks and specifically recently, I saw Fed Chair Meister Mester said that it would be a mistake for the US Federal Reserve to start cutting interest rates too soon despite its recent progress against inflation. This was after today's CPI print. We saw her business insider, I think it was showing that history shows US stocks falling more than 20% as the Fed initiates rate cuts. It's a loaded statistic. Talk a little bit about how this CPI print is going to affect what the Fed does and when they do it, and what are your updated predictions based on? <laughs> as, you as, as I see you just sitting there thinking about how you're going to say you were. <laughs> I know I have to say it. Part of it's part of when you say it, you got to spray. Part it. of what we do. March is probably not going to happen now, but it's only what's happened the last three weeks and. Still a lot of, but that's that's what we were saying, right? Is so much can happen so quickly. Yeah, I could sit here and be like, we still got time between. I I think I'm fucked at this point. <laughs> so I'm gonna follow my yeah, sword and say, well, yeah, or is it not? I'm seeing and hearing. The nice more thing is, say if I go back year. far enough and I take some wind out of my sails back in August to October time, I did say it was gonna be between March and June. It just really started to look like it was going March. And I jumped onto that skateboard and I rode. Little did I know the hill was steep and there was rocks on it and I didn't have knee pads or a helmet. <laughs> and Janet Yellen and Pop Powell absolutely fifth graded ass and threw a stick in front of me. They sunned you. They, they you sunned my shit. They said, all right, son. But at the same time, that's okay because interest rates are cutting. Int- yes, they are. Interest rates are cut. Cuts are coming. Yep. I just think now, because it, now we don't have time to get... And we can't overcut. But the, the problem that we, we have right here is there's this soft landing sitting right in front of Jerome Powell. Right now. It's already here, sitting right in front of him. How does he make that happen? He has to figure out how to land. It's almost like the way I would think about it in my head is imagine a pilot that's landing a big plane full of passengers and he has insane crosswinds. The landing strip isn't moving. But in order to land that plane, it's going to be extremely hard and take the perfect touch and the perfect finesse to do that. Maybe you're going to swing at the plane this way. So when it pushes this way, you go back to even keel. That's the kind of analogy that I see in my head when I see where Jerome Powell's at. And the nice thing is, he's the bottom end of that that trajectory. It's the time when the curtain's going to come up and you have to perform. But I think that he has a very good opportunity to land the plane. The issue then arises of when are you going to pull that trigger? And if you pull it too late, all the work that you've done is for nothing. And if you pull it too soon, you risk having what's called melt up. And we've talked about that a couple of times. Asset prices appreciate too fast, spikes inflation, and you're back in the same boat. Just made a little bit of money before you fall off. So June, May or June is probably now the, the most likely scenario. The question is, since they deferred, and I've brought this up, and I said this, I was talking to a client the other day about this. They skipped the March rate cuts. The question that's going to start being tossed around now is now how they must be going to go hot and heavy out the gate then. They're not going to quarter percent, half a percent, three. 
they're going to go half. That's what it tells me, unless something else happens between now and the meeting. So all these variables, nobody knows, including myself. We all make educated guesses. But yeah, it just shows how challenging it is to predict these things. And you can't predict so them. So many factors that are tying into it. Too many systemic risks. Yeah, this is an instant reaction from Lawrence Yoon, the um, NAR chief economist. He had said the desired inflation is 2% and the latest rise of 3.1% consumer price index in January is not yet comfortable. One big source of stubbornness to further calmness is that housing shelter, shelter. inflation is rising at 6%. This is by far the biggest thorn in the Fed side when it comes to getting CPI back down. Even though they can still find a way to separate it out in some capacities, right? In terms if you of how sheltered, we're, we're like right in 1. line. 1.9. Yeah. So shelter data is really so heavy. But Lawrence Yoon had reacted to this a little bit saying, it's a bit of a mystery since apartment rents are no longer rising and single family rent growth is at a low single digits. Is not was. And this is the problem with having lagging indicators. Correct. In current policy making, we should not drive in the fucking rear view mirror. He's not wrong, but the data that we get to use has to be three months old. So right now, if we took apartment rents, we're looking at apartment rents from November. And why? Why are we doing that? Because that's the way that our policy is, our policymakers have the system set up. Right now, he is right. That is that is the case right now. But last November, we were at the peak of that. Yep. And he so he goes on to say, home price is considered as an asset, like a stock price, and is not part of the inflation measurement. The Federal Reserve will not cut interest rates in the first half of the year. This is my view. But rate cuts of 3-4 or even five rounds will be possible in the second half of the year as rent measures will be much more well-behaved. Mortgage rates will be bouncy week to week, but will most likely settle towards 6% by the end of the year. Yeah, I think there's still a possibility for the first half of the year because of the May meeting. I'm still somewhat optimistic, but the CPI print obviously, you know, makes that the more so the a little bit more difficult than check before we I don't, it actually, all that's happening is the futures are pushing the, it's pushing the chance of a double cut higher. That's all that I'm seeing. And from what we can, from what we can expect in the next 35 days, sorry. I saw somebody post something. It didn't make sense to me. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Somebody said that until we get government spending and debt under control, that there's no way we can get CPI under control. Is there any correlation between those two to really stake your claim on that argument being such a big domino for inflation? Well, with CPI coming down, that would that helps get our uh, interest rate, our, our debt in control because the interest rate on the debt that we have to service goes down. We can refinance that rate or renegotiate the, the coupons on some of the debt that we issue. We don't have to issue treasury bonds at 5%. We can issue them at 2 or 3% and still be profitable. So yeah, that... It does, but in the opposite way, that almost would imply. When CPI becomes more in line, it will help us get the national debt. The problem is we're really towards the end. We only have a, we have one and a half more administrations to figure this out, or it's going to be a serious problem. And th that would be something that would crash all markets because if you don't, if your country's economy isn't healthy and your credit rating gets downgraded, nobody wants to do business with you. And then, then people would search elsewhere for more stable. Well, Powell said this, Elon Musk has said this, more and more people have said that our debt is on an unsustainable path. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole... Just with this new bill that just passed the Senate, I think it'll probably end up getting stopped at the House, hopefully. But with the, it's like every week there's a new stimulus and aid package for Ukraine, for Israel, for... Now Taiwan for yeah, a little have, portion A will help protect your border in, only unless you do X, Y, and Z first. Yeah, and then there's still no money for Hawaii. Yeah, like BS like that, right? Is Are we on it? Is there any... The current administration, if left unabated, the next administration kept doing what this one is... Yes, we would probably have a massive beyond recession. 
because there's no, because I think it would literally put us into hyperinflation to the level of Argentina. Then it would crash our economy and the world economy. So yeah, it would be pretty terrible and it would probably cause a massive war. So yeah, not good. Not well, this good. This is why voting with your pocketbook. Very important. Or I, just voting just, with your values. Very dangerous. Voting with policy is way more important than emotion. Yeah, it's very dangerous to vote for liberal Democrats. They are, honest to God, the most dangerous policymakers that are in power right now because they have zero conscience when it comes to making decisions and just all emotional, all emotionally driven. I don't really see anybody that's running that would be considered like crazy far. I know that there's, and I don't think Joe Biden's crazy far left, and I don't think Trump was crazy far. I think they're. Republican and Democrat, but the constituents is the problem. Mm-hmm. It's the people that work for the administration that are pulling the strings and they are just too wild. And that's what's really pushing our country in the direction that it is right now. And that's why it's just super sad. I don't like to see statistics like one in five kids in the past six years are now magically trans or gay or something like that. Oh, no, and, that's, yeah. and that's all, it's all these weird statistics that, that, community. I respect them. I love everybody. I don't hate on anybody. I'm just very direct and real about how I feel about things. That's not normal. When we have data sets, if we saw a trend like that in finance, something like that would be flagged as like in accounting as, whoa, something is wrong. That's the, This trend pattern is way too up yeah, when it was less than normal. 1% of the U.S. population, now I think it was like 30% of Gen one, Z. It's and one in five, yeah. It's, it's way... In, in There's exact, just something to pay attention to. Correct, that. correct. Uh, and that those... Because those people all weren't hiding no. and then magically appeared because policy gave them the green light to no, there's come a, out about there's it, There's a right? small group of people pushing a very radical ideology upon impressionable people. When you're young, you're impressionable. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of stuff that isn't real when I was young. So Dude, I wanted to be stuff. a pirate if my mom let me saw my leg off and I, you, you can pluck my... I remember brothers where I wanted to be a T-Rex <laughs> and I was in my backyard and my dad told me, cut shit. Yeah, when you're young, man, you can you dream I'm away. Gonna, but yeah, exactly. Let's, just don't be taken advantage Don't do of. things that are going to completely disrupt or change and alter the course of your life by doing something you can't undo too. And that's a whole nother discussion. Now, talking about what Business Business Insider says, one of the potential risks to the US economy and stock market is baby boomers. Boomers are more likely to sell if the US economy tips into a recession. That's a problem considering that people 55 and older account for 80% of the stock market ownership in the US, according to Rosenberg Research. What? Not saying it's true. This is again... I don't think that that's wh- true. What I'm reading from Rosenberg Research... That doesn't make any sense. Boomers are a risk to the stock market. Retirees who are less tolerant of stock market volatility also pose a downside risk to stocks. Boomers are more likely to sell if the US economy tips into a recession. And yeah, that is, so it continued. Do you see that being any any merit behind that? And I don't know if the numbers line up with like reality, like... 80% of the stock market is not. I just don't think boomers are enough to move the market like that. No, I don't either. They are enough to move the market for sure. But the thing that a lot of those individuals have, uh, a lot of those individuals have money in qualified accounts, the majority. So when they sell, they don't realize capital gains and they don't realize losses. So they're more willing to trade. Younger generations have a lot more of their money in non-qualified assets and there's taxes to be realized. And so even though that they would be down, they would realize a taxable event beyond because of selling. So there's less and less of that for younger generations. It's something that just popped in my head even on the debt thing. All the new rules for all the money that the boomers will pass on to their prior generations. Folks, if you get an inherit an IRA and you're not a spouse of the person that got that IRA, you have to liquidate. And this is under current law. So if this happened today and moving forward, you have to liquidate that account within 10 years of receiving it. That's going to generate a lot of what? Income taxes go straight to the U.S. Treasury Department. U.S. Treasury Department covers our... That's that's something I haven't even factored in. Uh, my head, that's definitely going to come about. But that's also why unqualified assets are becoming more popular with people in our generation. Brokerage accounts that you've heard before, those are non-qualified. That's what I prefer for my clients. 
those become more popular because of the flexibility, no contribution, no income limits. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a that's an interesting opinion, but I don't know if that opinion would actually find a lot of rubber on the road. And I think have that to you have would a lot of people doing it all at the same time, and, and people that are that most of those people are going to be advised by hopefully smart individuals who are going to say stay invested or, in the market or in different assets, right? Yeah, I be buy, some I, buy as well. I buy different equity asset classes for people that are retired than I do equities for people like you and I. So yeah, maybe they sell their stocks, but they're going to hold a lot of things that... So again, I don't know if that's... It's enough to move it. It's just not enough to be like, hey, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't think it's like that. This is a great statistic for all my young investors. For those of you who are millennials, Gen Z, and younger, while there are a lot of people that are falling under this trend called money dysmorphia, this is some 43% of Gen Z and 41% of millennials say they suffer from a flawed perception of their finances, dubbed money dysmorphia, per credit karma. This trend term money dysmorphia refers to a condition in which individuals feel insecure about their situation regardless of its actual reality. The concept of comparison appears to exacerbate money dysmorphia as individuals become fixated on the notion of attaining wealth in an era where it seems increasingly unattainable. This kind of reminds me of a, a label that mm. we're, uh, America's great with coming up with conditions and labels and all of these things, right? But when you actually get down to the root a lot of what's actually going on, a lot of the times it's a farce or it's fake or it's being manipulated to fit that label and whatever the intentions of labeling that are, right? But when you get down to some of the brass tacks on individuals that are younger, that are investing, that aren't trying to be fake Instagram rich or internet rich and are actually just following a prudent plan, Tone, you can tee this up. Investors under 40 have seen their wealth increase by 80% since 2019. And this is a little bit of info to back up that support. Lines about millennials and Gen Z falling behind financially. Turns out their cumulative wealth is soaring. Our Robert Frank here with some new details. Morning, Robert. Good morning, Sarah. Good to see you. Americans under 40 saw their wealth increase by 80% since 2019. That compares with growth of just 10% for those between 40 and 54 and 30% for those over 55. Now, the main reason here is stocks. Those under 40 saw the value of their financial assets increase by 50% since 2019. That compares with just a 20% increase for those over 55. Now, along with rising stock prices, young investors also shifted more of their money into stocks. The share of their financial assets held in stocks went from 18 to 25%. That was the biggest increase of any generation. But those under 40 still have a lot of catching up to do. Their total wealth is now only about a third of the wealth for those aged 40 to 55. But guys, golden hands seem to have paid off for now. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. 
50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. One, I thought that was interesting from the perspective of great returns and probably not a very long time frame of being invested in the market. So even though there's quote unquote growth to make up to catch up to, yeah, because their time invested in the market has compounded significantly five years over yeah. their tenure of being in the market. So I thought that was just an encouraging statistic for a lot of people. And I'm curious on your thoughts being that wasn't in real estate wealth accumulation. That was millennials and Gen Z being invested in the stock market and that there seems to be a level of interest and engagement that I don't know if we've seen that historically or at this age level or not. But I think it's promising for the future of people that are looking at the stock market as a vehicle for wealth accumulation and growth. Yeah, I think that the advent of COVID, sitting at home, getting information at home, a lot more people getting... Reddit um, threads. Yeah. It, this is a positive and a big negative too, but a lot of people getting financial advice on TikTok and stuff. You'll notice I don't do a ton of that because I think that it's it waters down my brand value. I think that people who give advice on like TikTok and stuff, I don't think it's high quality. But that advent got people interested in thinking about something that they had not had time to think about before. And then what happens is, this is the whole aspect of the casino. Casinos are very popular because when you win at the casino, it encourages you or entices you to come back. People can gamble with their investments. That's what it is. Risk their money at a certain level and sometimes get really high payouts. And certain places or certain people want to be more aggressive, playing to options, playing to crypto, playing to meme stocks, and they get really high rates of return in a very short period of time. And what happens is the one or two or three success stories that happen keeps the hundreds of thousands of people shooting for that success story coming back. It's almost like on the golf course, if you hit one straight and long, 18, back for another 18. So that is what I think has happened. The financial influencers that, in my opinion, are out like our, ourselves, are advocates for people and want to actually encourage people in the avenues that we're educated in how to do things properly. Those are people dealing with a lot of people like myself in that middle and upper group, $130 trillion that's sitting up there. I deal with a lot of those people. The majority of our clients at our firm are much older than 40 years old. There's a lot of people that were getting started on the idea of, hey, Set this thing up, let it start going. And now you're two, three, four years in and you can see, oh yeah, I'm averaging 14, 15, 16% now. Wow, I'm averaging 21% now. Wow, yes. And it'll take more time to keep getting to those higher numbers, but it's possible for anybody. It's just not this overnight success story, the snap of a finger, this drive-through wealth that a lot of people are looking for. And it's unfortunate that people get sucked into the time horizon being so short. But if people take time, they invest in quality assets, and they do it for a continuous period of time, as you can see, the larger generation up there has one thing different than, than y'all, minus maybe allocation. Time. Time. Their returns are much smaller. Yep. still have bigger value. Time. So this is what we can learn from the baby boomer generation is, what did you do that I haven't done? You've had life, and you kept your money invested over that longer period of life than I have. Now, we have better opportunities to buy things and get higher rates of return because of the availability of information. We should leverage that. We should have a bigger pot to pick from at our age range over the same period of time than the baby boomers do. Time will tell if that shows itself, but we should. Yeah. And I think it's for those that are a part of that data set, you've been validated, right? And the fact that you're a millennial and you saw that kind of growth... The one thing I do know that you have in front of you is time and runway. So stick to that plan and make sure that obviously you're tweaking and adjusting, but that should be validation for the younger generations to look at these vehicles, play the long-term game, connect with an advisor, right? And those are the things that will allow you to keep building and growing while you play the game over the long term. And if you haven't connected with your financial advisor, or you want to connect with Ryan and his amazing team, one of the best and easiest ways to do that, text the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555. If you're a millennial and you're not in that age group and you got that money dysmorphia versus 
being a part of the data set that's winning and seeing those kind of growth, that's where you want to engage with a professional, right? That can help you brainstorm, game plan, and actually get into action on that. And if you have a portfolio, just to make sure that it's on the right path, you're not getting overfeed, things along those lines. So X-Ray 844-447-1555, that's the best way to connect with Ryan and his team. Now, to shift over to a little bit of commercial real estate, there is a darling of the market. We were having this discussion in a mastermind group recently, as well as some of the data that's out there. What do you think it is? I yeah, it's an asset class we actually not, haven't talked a lot hospitality. about. Hospitality, I know that. It's not hospitality. I know that. Nothing that relies on anybody else. You get one one pick. My guess is it's going to be a commercial office space. Okay. Student housing has become real estate's unlikely kingmaker, emerging as a reliable and recession-proof cash cow at a time when multifamily and commercial is very challenging. It's an asset class that everyone wants in on. Developers want to build these units. Banks want to finance them. Students want to live in them. And universities whose ever-growing enrollments far outstrip their ability to house students. They need them. In students' housing, uh, housing's top market, supply is so tight and demand is so high that a construction fiasco here and there doesn't matter so long as the firm keeps building. That's pretty compelling when you think about it and just shows the strength of what kind of big universities have created when it comes to real estate arm and demand within their micro communities around those higher universities. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. To and I've seen and met a couple of people that, that were just straight billionaires because it's the one vertical of focus. But again, this is more on an institutional level and asset class versus the mom and pop. Yeah, that would take a lot of money because you have to negotiate directly with the, the schools. The schools are going to take a piece of it. Let me repeat that. Yep. Yeah, they are going to say we're going to send people to you. So you're going to when I went to Sonoma State, they already had this. In 2010, there was oh, yeah. one apartment and they only would allow you to live there if you were a Sonoma State student. And then the floors were separated by um, your major. It was normal housing. You didn't get a discount, but you had to be. And I would almost assume because it was literally that place was fully 100% occupied at all times. You had to follow the student handbook there. They were probably getting some sort of giving some sort of kickback to Sonoma State for essentially free marketing because it was the only other apartment complex that they would tell you about when you're on Sonoma State's campus. Yep. So that type of thing existed. And it was, you know what it was? It was a hybrid of an apartment home and uh, an apartment. It was like a nicer, bigger apartment that kind of had the amenities of an apartment home, condo, whatever you want to call that. But it was still an apartment and it was massive living room. A room that could be for two people, a room that could be for one person, all ensuite bathrooms, no public restroom, and then one massive kitchen. And that was the product. Yep. And that's totally not a product for a family. It well, was totally works for correct. Total op style and I never even thought about that. Of living. Yeah. yeah. So that's the darling of the market right now. And the dud of the market is office. Being that there's some great opportunity, but that's where I think there's a lot of money. But the thing is, the only thing I'm seeing is I'm seeing stuff getting picked up. Hey, sold for 550 a square foot, getting picked up for 243 a square foot. Yeah, sold for 300 a square foot, getting picked up for 125 a square foot. So definitely some CRE distress happening, and I'm going to look it off. Stockpiled. I set an appointment with uh, a commercial, my commercial guy around here for office leasing. But we're going and looking at another office because you can probably get ter- the TICs right now. Free rent, twelve months. Oh, there's twelve. All kinds Matt, twelve. Of twelve months. My lease is up next May in fifteen. <laughs> I'm over here. Oh my gosh! And they get the TICs. I've never seen them. They're like, we'll fully rebuild out the office in with up to sixty five thousand dollars. We'll lose a bunch of money. You just have to sign a three year lease. Literally, there's there's a lot of opportunity on the tenant side if you're just somebody looking to negotiate because the value of an asset on commercial real estate is tied to the income that is locked in on it, right? So they're looking at the long-term effects of locking you into that lease, not the short-term. And it's a great opportunity for somebody to get in and and negotiate or restructure. Yeah, absolutely. I I was going to say, the occupants, them showing occupancy is almost as important as them 
making o- money occupancy on occupancy and the income are right because if your if your occupancy is at hundred percent but you don't have good income tied to it that still doesn't matter okay, so, so there's there's a component of both of those things working in concert together. That being said, having money readily available is proving critical for investors circling commercial real estate distress. Investors who have stockpiled distressed funds and cash collections since the start of the pandemic are acquiring properties at insane discounts or providing what is called rescue capital to owners for preferred returns taking advantage of high interstate interest rate cycles. So there's some pretty big dry powder getting deployed into the market right now. Again, we've been saying it's happening at the top, right? Some of those loans that are the rate caps are expiring, arms are readjusting, balloon payments are coming due. That's where you're seeing some of these distress funds come in and negotiate some pretty hefty discounts on debt because the banks are going, we don't want to take it back. Yeah. Take us out. That's fine. We'll give, we'll take it for 50 cents on the dollar or depending on what kind of asset class it is, or you're seeing people having to get out of stuff and they're getting out of it at a significant discount. And it's generally these larger groups, right, where their portfolio can ins- be somewhat insulated. Yeah, filled they're going to have a bad. They're going to have a bad year, but one it's or not two take or three down. assets, but the other twenty are saved. That's where those kind of opportunities are going to come in. And again, it's going to take some time to trickle down to uh, the mom and pop investors. But those are the kinds of opportunities that we're already starting to see hit the market. I figure we'll wrap up with this. Biggest fraud in Southeast Asia ever. A Vietnamese real estate mogul, Truong Mai Lan, is set to go on trial next month for allegedly spearheading the largest financial fraud in the history of Southeast Asia. Lan, along with nearly 100 alleged accomplices, is accused of embezzling... You ready for this? 100 billion. 12.5 billion. I was blown away by 12.5 billion. From Saigon Joint Stock Commercial Bank, about 42,000 people who banked there lost money in the alleged scheme, according to the authorities. Wow. That's insane. Is unbelievable. That's so much money. And you think about that amount of money. This is 100 people involved, but my God. To me, and I think I'm sure our regulations with banking and that kind of stuff is maybe a little bit tighter. To where I don't know how you can get twelve and a half billion deep in a fraud scheme and not pick up on some of these things. But I guess when you got a hundred alleged accomplices, you might be yeah, maybe like paying a lot of people off forging of paperwork along the way. Yeah. But because to me it made me go, man, what what could those people who got crushed, forty two thousand people who lost money with that bank? Is there anything they could have done differently? It's not like they were analyzing a, an investment deal and going, is this syndicator going to take care of my money? Is this bank going to take care? Like, you don't think about that when you give Mm -hmm. your money to banks, right? Because you think about the trust, the regulation, the oversight. It's a little bit different when it comes to individual deals and investing with syndicators or funds or things like that. But I just thought that would. And again, in the world of wealth building. But what I can tell you is having two hands on the steering wheel, head on a swivel, and the right team around you at all times is absolutely critical. So if you want to take advantage of that, reach out to Ryan and his team, X-Ray to 844-447-1555. If you want to get on my deals list, you're an accredited investor, you want to get exposed to more opportunities or just see what things I'm investing in, text the word to deals at 844-447-1555. With that being said, we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. Don't forget to check out MillionaireMindcast.com and TheWiseInvestorCollective.com. All the great stuff that we have in the store for you guys on your wealth building journey. Until next episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also. Don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners 
for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last, don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. Cheers.